Bibles, <clears throat> if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Put a marker there. We'll be there in a minute, but we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we'll be there in a little bit, but we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, we looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2, and I told you then that starting at, after the first of the year that we're going to be changing up some of the way we do things around here. Uh, our doctrine is never going to change. Um, at least it better not ever change. <clears throat> um, but the way we do that, the mechanics of church, you know, uh, this year, because of COVID and everything, uh, I've had to, I, I was forced to examine the mechanics of church, if that makes sense, of how and why we do what we do. And uh, it, it came, I came to the realization that God um, has given us a, a plan in Acts chapter 2 of some of the mechanics of how a church should operate. And we're going to be making some changes uh, primarily after we get the renovations done next door. We're going to be incorporating some different ideas of fellowship and, and so on and so forth. But um, uh, anyway, we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. And <clears throat> I, want to, I want to stop for a minute and I want to talk about this idea of striving together. Uh, it is an important, important concept. The two words striving and then together individually uh, they mean this striving means to devote serious effort to to devote serious effort to the word uh, together simply means a collection or a group but when you put the two words together it means teamwork and i as i as i thought about it uh, I was reminded of something I read many years ago, and I've got a picture for you. <clears throat> Angie will like this picture. <laughs> okay, these are Belgium Belgium draft horses, and <clears throat> uh, these are. I, I I don't know if you've ever been around these animals. I I have many many years ago. I uh, I was I was around, and they they are massive. They, I don't know another word for these animals, but they're just massive animals. Everything about them is huge. Uh, and I'm sure their feed bill is massive as well. Um, but there's an interesting uh, statistic about a, a draft horse. Individually, these horses can pull up to 8,000 pounds individually. Uh, that I mean that again that, that that's just mind-boggling to me. But the interesting fact is that when you put two of them together, not only can they pull sixteen thousand pounds easily, but they can pull as a team, normal as a team, twenty-two thousand pounds as a, as a team. But if that team is well-trained, they've been known to pull up to 32,000 pounds as a team. That's the importance of teamwork. 
That's the importance of striving together. Because we as a church can do far, far more than us as individuals. And, and I, was, I was even chastised this morning, uh, two of my colleagues back here, um, <clears throat> because I, I have the tendency, how many of you are like me? And, and most of you had better put your hand up. How many of you are like me in the sense that, oh, I don't want to bother anybody, I'll just do it myself. Okay, yes. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> We're all guilty of that. And if you didn't put your hand up, you're a liar. <laughs> Either that or really lazy, I don't know. Uh, but no, that's how we are. We, we don't want to put other people out. And that's not what teamwork is about. Teamwork is about working together for a common goal. And in, in our church this year, that common goal is the gospel. So, <clears throat> we see teamwork in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> let's start reading in verse 41. <clears throat> then they that gladly received the, his, his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And the fear and fear came upon them, uh, every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man, excuse me, as every man had need. And they continued steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you so kindly do in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, this morning we ask as we look at this idea of striving together, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would give me the words to communicate the burden that has been so heavily placed on my heart this morning. Help me, dear God, to say only the things that you desire me to say. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the, the things that I, I laid in bed last night praying uh, for quite some time, asking the Lord to give me the words this morning to communicate the burden of my heart. One of the things that I fear oftentimes is off, whenever God puts a burden on my heart like this is not being able to communicate that burden properly or, or uh, effectively. 
And uh, so this morning, I, I trust that, this, that, that I'll be able to do that. But the idea here is that they continued steadfastly. They didn't stop. It was something that they kept doing. And so often in our world today, it's so easy to get discouraged and, 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 and just give up. And if we are going to be an effective church moving forward, we are going to have to do it, as the Bible says, continuing steadfastly. It's something that's going to have to be uh, become part of our DNA as a church. A few weeks ago, I gave you uh, four primary activities of the, of the local church, and we talked in detail about them. The first one was, uh, the, <clears throat> was knowledge. It says, and they continued, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Their doctrine never wavered. And our doctrine will never waver as long as I'm the pastor. Their doctrine never wavered. It's important, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I brought up the, the fact that the, because of the word, the word construction here, the word doctrine here doesn't mean the act of doctrine, but it is the subject of, of teaching. Not the act of teaching, but the subject of teaching. So in other words, what he's saying here is that they were actively engaged in teaching and learning. It wasn't just that they had an, a knowledge of, of, the, of doctrine, but they were actively teaching and learning doctrine. We need to, as individuals in, in the body of Christ, we need to understand our responsibility to learn and to grow. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be a supervisor. Many of you in here have been parents and you know what I'm about to say is true. We can teach and teach and teach, but if our children, if our employees don't want to learn, it's just empty words. It is just as important that we as believers in Jesus Christ want to learn as it is to teach. Oftentimes we will we have people that will periodically come to our church with the sole purpose of, I want to be a teacher in your church. Well, for me, it's more important that you come in with the spirit of, I need to learn so that I can then learn to teach. The second activity that we talked about was fellowship, and we're going to be talking more about this as the time goes on. And I understand we're living in unique times with COVID and all that stuff, and I, I, I get that. But I want to say this. COVID has only been here for, what, about nine months? Eight, nine months, something like that? Ten, ten months, okay? There are people that have been in, coming to our church for years that have never had anybody else in the church over to their home for dinner. Think about that. Now, right now we can blame it on COVID. Well, I'm not allowed to do it. No, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Fellowship is a primary part of what the church is. 
And if we don't learn to fellowship, we don't learn to get together and get to know each other, then this the verse that I'm about to read is going to be null and void. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. See, this, we might as well take a knife and cut this verse out of our Bible if we're not willing to get along and get, get, get together with people and get to know them, share our hearts and let them share theirs. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man <clears throat> sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. The third activity is they gave and received. And we talked about this and I made... I stepped on a few toes a few weeks ago when we talked about this. <clears throat> we have to, number one, we have to know what the need is. It's amazing to me how many people will call me when they're out of the hospital and say, oh, Pastor, by the way, I was in the hospital last week. It just drives me nuts. There was a lady that attends our church regularly um, before COVID and and I found out via Facebook that she had just been in the hospital. Now, now, granted, she didn't have time to call me, uh, you know, on the way to the hospital. But, you know, I, <laughs> it's like, how can we pray if we don't know? That's why I ask you on the connection cards, hey, if there's something going on in your life, let me know. But we need to be willing to receive. Now, I want to, I want to go back. I want to read verse 45. It says, and sold their possessions and goods, imparted them to all men as every man had need. And the Bible does not go on to say, but those that were too proud to accept it didn't get it. It doesn't say that. But every man has need. We as a church particularly within the body of our church, need to be sensitive to the needs of the people around us. And the only way we can do that is if we know the individuals and their needs. Fellowship is such an important part of that. And then the fourth activity was prayer. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Again, if, if we're not spending time with each other, how can we pray for you? How can you pray for me? Now, Bob sent me uh, an, uh, something this morning. I haven't had time to look at it, but it's a prayer, an app for prayer where you can, can pray for people. And you, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, he just sent it to me this morning. I haven't looked at it. I'm assuming that that's what it's for, that if I have a burden, a, a prayer need, uh, then I, I can I, I can put it I guess I can just put it in there and whoever is a part of it can pray for me or whatever I, I don't know how it works it's a great concept though but that's what we do on Wednesday night Wednesday night is so important there's nothing more gratifying than to pray for somebody who's in need and there's nothing more refreshing to know that somebody is praying for you when you're in need Matthew Law once said, there is nothing that makes us love a man so much as praying for him. 
And there, there's a lot of truth in that. Matthew chapter 7 and verse, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And he that, uh, excuse me, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now let's turn over to Philippians, our, our verse of the year. Philippians chapter 1 in verse 27. only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. There's two answers to this. Actually, three. <clears throat> well, two. Two, basically. Why is it so important that we strive together? The first part of the, the answer to that is that we can accomplish more corporately than we can individually. That's the first reason. The second reason, and I don't know if you've noticed it, but we have two new quotes on the, our back wall back here. The most important thing to the heart of God is people. The most important thing to the heart of God is people. And the second one says, we are striving together to love Jesus and love like Jesus. The first quote that I read was a, a friend of mine down in Las Vegas. He's assistant pastor down in Las Vegas. His name is Matt Tice. The second one came, comes from a guy named uh, David Cripps Jr. That is the young man that Tim and Raquel moved to Texas to start the church in downtown Houston with. He's the pastor of that church. So what is the second half of the, the answer to that? Not only can we do more co corporately than we can individually, <clears throat> but it's all about the gospel. Why do we need to strive together? <clears throat> the title of my message this morning, if you haven't figured it out, yeah, is striving together. <laughs> Pretty clever, huh? I mentioned earlier that the book of uh, Philippians was written by Paul when he was in prison. And <clears throat> Paul, when he wrote this, I believe his motivation was that Christians ought to have a desire to have more in their relationship with God than to just live with the status quo. So many people today, and, and it is prevalent throughout our society, so many people today are just satisfied with the status quo. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to do the hard thing. They just kind of want to flow through life and, and, and just enjoy you know, the, to the best of their ability. They don't want to make waves. They just want to get through life. They want to pay their taxes, and when they're in their uh, 70s or 80s, they die and go to heaven, and, and that's, that's the extent of life to some 
so many Christians. But Paul, Paul doesn't believe that. Paul is trying to motivate us as believers to, to, to have more in life than, than just the status quo. The first thing that he brings up here, and I want to I want to spend a little bit of time. There's only two points this morning. The first point is this: a consistent lifestyle. A consistent lifestyle. It says, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. The word conversation here, and I've talked about this word many times here at Grace, and and uh <clears throat> It's something that we need to talk about periodically. But the word the word conversation here is not limited to what we say with our words. Like if if Jim and I uh, after church this morning we we stood out in the parking lot and we just talked for ten or fifteen minutes, we would call that a conversation, would we not? But that's not what this word talks about here. the the word The word conversation in Scripture, whenever you see this word in Scripture. It has, it has far greater reaching ramifications than just standing and, and talking to someone. It, 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 it takes into context the lifestyle that backs up the conversation. So in other words, your lifestyle is far more important than your words. Because how many of you ha- have ever heard the, the term, uh, do as I say, not as I do. How many of you have ever told your kids that? <laughs> but what do your kids end up doing? No, they end up doing what you do. They will mimic you. And you can tell them all day long not to do something, but if you do it, they will do it. The word let here is a verb. Now, I, I don't know if it's always a verb in, in the English language, but in this particular uh, context, it's a verb. And it's a unique word. The, 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 the Greek word that's translated let in our, in our English Bible comes from a root word uh, in Greek that we get the word politics from. I, I looked it up, and it's a Greek word. It's about that long. And I wasn't even going to uh, try to say it, okay? So it's a really big, big Greek word, but it, it's the word that we get politics from. So in other words, <clears throat> what Paul is saying here is, says, let your lifestyle, let your political lifestyle, or in context here, behave the way a citizen is supposed to behave. Now, who is Paul writing to? Christians. So, where is my citizenship as a, as a believer? My citizenship is in heaven. So what is Paul saying here? He says, you should be living, let your conversation, so my lifestyle should be that of a resident of heaven, not a resident of the United States of America. Now, I'm going to say something. I realize that I'm on, on the Internet. <clears throat> it's more important that I be a Christian 
than in America. Now, you will have a hard time finding anybody more patriotic than me to my country. I love my country. But what Paul is saying here is your lifestyle should reveal your true heart. And hopefully my true heart is that I love Christ and I want to live for him. Back many years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to the, to the Ukraine about two years after the, the, the wall fell and, and you, the, the Ukraine became a sovereign nation once again. And we were, we were uh, with our interpreter and she took us to an open-air market because that's, that's how they do businesses in open-air markets for the most part. At least they did then. I don't know about now. But <clears throat> And as we were pulling up, she said, now whatever you do, uh, don't say anything. And uh, if you want to buy something, come and get me and I'll do the negotiating for you. And I said, well, why? She says, well, because they'll know you're Americans. As soon as you open your mouth, they'll know you're Americans and the price will go up. Makes sense to me. But, but then after she thought about it for a minute, she's like, ah, don't worry about it. I said, why? She says, because they'll know you're Americans anyway. <laughs> now, you have to understand, <clears throat> I looked at her and I said, I said, you look just like we do. You, you know, the, the same basic, you know. And she said, no, you, you don't understand. You're an American. Yeah. She says, everybody knows. You'll, you, everybody in the market will know you're an American. I said, how, how would they know? We look, we're dressed the same. And she, that's what she said, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. She said, the reason that I will know you're American is the way you walk. She said, Americans walk upright, and they look people in the eye. She said, we don't do that. Communism had taught them, never, you, don't, you don't look people in the eye. You, you, you look down, and you talk to people, you, you would do this. And I thought, my first thought was how sad, but as I was thinking about what Paul is saying here, let your conversation, I ought to be able to walk into Walmart and by my very lifestyle, people should be able to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ without opening my mouth. Paul is very clearly suggesting that Christians should live differently. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, for your conversation, again, there's that word, is in heaven. Your lifestyle should be in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be asking ourselves regularly, is my walk what it should be? 
Is my walk what it should be? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Many years ago, I remember hearing a quote that God has used many, many times in my life. And this is the quote. I, I don't know the origin of the quote. I just, it just it's a, I've, heard, I've I, I heard it many, many years ago. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. I read a story of a, of a church member who came to a pastor. Now, this has never happened at our church. That's a joke, by the way. <clears throat> but no, seriously, I read this story, and this, this, this church member walks up and says, Hey, pastor, we have a, an unsaved uh, neighbor uh, is there any literature that you can give me that I can give them so that they can so that they can get saved? And this pastor turned, picked up his Bible. He turned to Second Corinthians chapter three and verse two, and he read him this verse: "Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, know and re- and re- read of all men." Did I not give you that one? Oh, I'm sorry. Ye, ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. In other words, what's he saying is if you are truly walking with God, everybody around you should know it. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 3.2. Chris is diligently doing his work back there. He then went on to say to this this couple, the best literature in the world is no substitute for your life. Let them see Christ in you. Then you will be amazed at the opportunities you will have to share the gospel. What an incredible challenge to us this morning. The greatest weapon that you possess is your life. Let me say that again. The greatest weapon that you possess is your life. As a church, when we strive together for the faith of the gospel, we can accomplish great things. As I was studying earlier about the the Belgian draft horses, I found out something that I did not realize, I did not know before. But the whole concept behind the, the SEAL teams, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of SEAL teams, the, the, the Navy's special forces guys. The whole concept behind the SEAL teams is the teamwork, and they got that teamwork philosophy from the Belgian horses. And as a group, they are a formidable force. Now, individually, they're pretty bad too, but um, but that, that's what makes them so lethal is the fact that they work together so well. Grace Baptist Church needs to understand the concept of teamwork, which is point number two, teamwork. The phrase striving together is an athletic term. <clears throat> it is 
Paul trying to communicate this, inf- this important idea of teamwork within the church. Uh, Andrew Carnegie once said this, Teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments toward organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. As Paul was writing this passage, this, this, the book of Philippians, there was conflict within the church. And Paul's, Paul's emphasis here uh, on striving together, I'm sure, was not by accident because he knew of the conflict. And he's encouraging the, 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 the church to pull together, to work together. Look over at uh, Philippians chapter 4 in verse 2, and we'll see this conflict. It says, I beseech you, Eudeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. What it was is two women in the church. We don't know what the conflict was, but we do know that there was conflict. And conflict within a church is always wrong. Well, let, let me say this. Conflict between people is always wrong. Especially within the church. There you go. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and ye shall love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How do people, again, this is going back to the gospel, why should we love one another? Why should we strive together as, as, as I'm trying to communicate here? Why is it so that everyone will know, according to what he says here, that ye are my disciples? Because, well, not only because he did, but because love is an unnatural reaction when you have conflict when you have conflict now now is it is it is it by chance that everybody in this room today and everybody watching at home this morning that everybody has everything in common and we all love each other and we all get along yeah i don't think so but when you can love in that kind of environment, then Christ will be magnified. Because it's not natural. And an unsafe person can come in and, 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 and see the love that we have one for another and know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and accurate. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chuck Swindoll wrote in one of his books, 
It's those stately geese I find especially impressive. Winging their way to warmer climates, they often cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination. Have you ever studied the way they fly as they do? It is fascinating to read what is being discovered, excuse me, what has been discovered uh, about their flight pattern as well as in-flight habits uh, four, uh, uh, four come to mind. The first one is this. Now, I knew this one, uh, that they rotate their leaders, their leadership. When one lead goose gets tired, it changes places, <clears throat> and with one uh, in, the, in the wing of the V uh, formation, the, uh, another flies to the point. In other words, when the one that's in the point gets tired, he drops back. Another one takes his place and he just keeps working his way back. And by the time they get to the, to the end, they're refreshed enough because, uh, well, let me go on. Number two, uh, by flying as they do, the members of the flocks create an upward current from one another. Each flap of the wing literally creates an uplift for the bird immediately following. <clears throat> One author states that by flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets a 71% greater uplift than it uh, 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 for each following goose on its own. So in other words, by the time it gets back to the birds at the very end, the ones that have been up the front are, are hardly having to fly at all. So that they, they're, they're able to rest. And then they make that rotation and they're constantly rotating. And, and the thing that's impressive about this is that there's no one single leader that has to carry the whole load. This is one thing I didn't know. When one goose gets sick or wounded, two will fall out of formation with it. And it will follow, uh, and, and they will follow it down and help and protect it until it's, uh, until it's uh, 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 back on its feet again. <laughs> the geese in the rare, excuse me, in the rear of the formation are the ones who do the honking. I didn't know this either. Well, I thought they all did. But it's the, it's the geese at the end that do the honking. <clears throat> and he goes on, he says, I suppose it's their way of announcing that they're following and that all is well. So by honking, they're communicating to the ones in the front, hey, we're okay back here. For sure... The repeated honks encourage those in the front to stay at it. As I think about it, this is one lesson that stands out above all others. It is the natural instinct of geese to work together. Now, let me inject here. It is not the natural instinct for humans to work together. Just, just saying whether it's rotating, flapping, helping, honking, the flock is in it together. 
which enables them to accomplish what they have set out to do. In other words, it enables them to accomplish the impossible. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, we are given a definition of what teamwork should look like. We are told that we are to have one spirit and with one mind. Both of these things put together, one spirit and one mind, speak of the unity that we should have in Christ. Instead of concentrating on the, the things that are un, uh, uncommon, we should concentrate on the things that we have in common. And primarily that's doctrine. Please understand that the, that the disciples, and, and many people don't, don't realize this, but the, the disciples of Jesus Christ oftentimes had, had a spirit of selfishness um, uh, competition and disunity. They, they, in other words, they didn't always get along. <laughs> I mean, the disciples were a perfect picture of a local church. A bunch of individuals with individual minds who want everything their own way. One of the, one of the stories that always comes to my mind, we find in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and following. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we, we would that thou uh, shouldst uh, do for us whatever soever we desire. In other words, uh, they, they come to Jesus and says, You know what? We want you to do what we want you to do. How many of you have ever done that to God? Other than me. Okay? And he said unto them, What would ye have? What, what should I do for you? Uh, and they said unto him, Grant us that, that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left in, hand in glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they, and they said unto him, uh, We can. And Jesus said unto them, uh, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup uh, that I am dr- that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall uh, <clears throat> be given to them to whom for whom it is prepared. And get this, then the ten heard it they began to be much displeased at James and John. What happened? They, they, they got worried. You know, they heard what, what they were saying. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what about us? And, and, the re, and the truth is this. The, the position at the right hand of a king in those days was, was a picture of the next in authority the 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 picture of the left hand was the number three guy in the kingdom and i can guarantee that you you take these two guys james and john and and let's just say by chance jesus looks at john and says okay john you sit on my right james you on my left they would have gotten a fight well but i wanted to sit on the right hand isn't that how we are 
But the other ten disciples, they, they heard what was going on and they, they got their noses tweaked. And they got bent out of shape. They say, but whoa, whoa, wait, what about us? But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know not ye know that ye excuse me, that they which are uh, accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Boy, are we not seeing that today. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. The word minister there is what? Servant. So in other words, within the church, what is, what is uh, Mark saying or Jesus saying here? Hey, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. We need to have one spirit and one mind. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the thing that is of utmost importance. It should be the thing that drives us to do what we do. At the beginning, I gave you the four activities of the early church. Knowledge, fellowship, giving and receiving, and praying. Do you, do you remember what the fruit of those four things is? In verse 47, turn back to Acts. So hopefully you still have a marker there. If not, I'll, don't worry about it. I'll just read it. What is the, what is the result in, in the, the uh, church of Acts when they did those four things? Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Do you see a correlation between Acts chapter <clears throat> 2 verse 47 and Philippians chapter 1 verse, verse 47? It's the gospel. People get saved when the church does what it's supposed to do. When we encourage one another in the Lord and we pray for one another and we give and we, and we do and we love so that we can become the people that God wants us to be. It starts. It starts by knowing each other. I can't know you if I don't spend time with you. You can't know me if you don't spend time with me, and, and so on and so forth. Now, granted, for the most part, everybody in here, uh, for the most part, uh, knows me. And I, and I know you for the most part. Some of the newer folks that have come from uh, because of COVID, it's been a little slower getting to know us just because of the nature of what's going on. But many of you, I've been in your homes and you've been in my home and we get to know each other and we can, and, and we can fellowship. But how is that going with other people? Probably not so good. Why? Because we're all too busy and it's, 
so much easier to just stay locked into our own little cocoons where we don't have to do the hard things. We don't have to get to know people. Well, hopefully, my hope is this year that's going to change. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.